Lord our God, we come into your presence anticipating to hear from you today. Lord, we come into your presence anticipating to hear your word and your life. Lord, speak life to us today. Lord, we pray you would give us ears to hear. Lord, give us a, a glimpse of that very good creation that you have made. And Lord, draw our hearts to not just the thing in creation, but to the creator of that thing. You, Lord, give us a glimpse of you and your goodness and your beauty. Lord, that's our, that's our goal today, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that you would just uh, speak, that you would set this preacher aside, and you would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What is the best R&B song of all time? Now, I, I might be biased because I grew up in the 90s and graduated high school the year this song came out, but, but in my opinion, doo-wop, that thing by Lauryn Hill is just one of, I mean, just one of the catchiest songs, the R&B songs that you have, and that album, uh, that album, you know, you, you may not know this, but, but Lauryn Hill set some records with this album, all right? She, she hit number one um, immediately on the Billboard chart. She won two Grammys, uh, one was for the best R&B song, that song, that thing, that song, the doo-wop song, and best female R&B vocal performance. And so two Grammys, uh, number one on the Billboard charts, this song was a hit. All right, let's just say it not only was a hit, but you, when you hear it today, it's, you still get into it and you can hear it, right? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, I, wish I, I wish I had a way to play it for you. But this song, if you ever take time to look at the lyrics, um, and, and, and I would recommend read the radio version uh, if, you're, if you're concerned about some, there's a little explicit language in it. Yeah, but read the, read the radio version of the, of the song lyrics, and you will see that this song is prophetic. All right, this song is prophetic because it tells the truth to men and women in the community, in her, and Lauren Hill speaking to her community, and she's speaking to men and women in the community and telling the truth about how men and women play games in relationships. All right, how we, how we play games in relationships, how we use sex to get what we want, okay, in relationships. So that's what this song is about. She's, 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 she's diving right in, and she says, Girl, you know you better watch out. Come on. Some guys, some guys are only about that thing, that thing, that thing. And then she says, guys, you know you better watch out. Because girls, some girls are only about that thing, that thing. Come on now. All right, all right. I'm sorry y'all had to hear me sing that. In case you missed it. In case you missed it, that thing is referring to sex. All right? So just so we're clear, some men and women are only about that thing. All right? That's what, that's what Lauren Hill is saying. And she's saying it shouldn't be that way. Because your dignity and your worth should not be all tied up in that thing. Right? That's what she's saying. It was prophetic. The song is a, it, it, it'll preach. It literally is preaching right now. Because people will lie to you, they will use you, they will abuse you, they will manipulate you because of that thing. 
The album is called The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And I was thinking about that. Why does she call it The Miseducation of Lauren Hill? Well, I think I know why. Because the culture around us is teaching us constantly. It's teaching us what to think about everything. Right? What to think about everything, including our sexuality. The culture is constantly miseducating us about these things. Growing up, we learn about life from the culture around us, and most of the time we just accept the miseducation. We just accept it. And this, this, it goes deeper than this, because her album, the title, was inspired by a book written in the early 20th century, in 1933, by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who some of you know from black history. And the title of his book was The Miseducation of the Negro. Woodson's thesis was that black children were being indoctrinated and conditioned in public schools to stay subservient and to accept inferiority because of their skin color. All right, that's what that book was about. That was 100 years ago. And so uh, Dr. Woodson is saying that you've been miseducated, you've been miseducated about race. All right, and what Lauren Hill is picking up on uh, some, what, uh, 60 years later, she's saying, you, not only that, but we've been miseducated about a lot of things. We've been miseducated about a lot of things. Dr. Woodson, in his book, wrote this, which I love, this quote. Listen to this. He said, when you control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his actions. When you control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his actions. And so Lauren Hill is taking that concept and applying it to the area of sexuality. And she's saying, if you control how people think about these things, they're going to do what they're going to do. If you can control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his or her actions. Brothers and sisters, that's where we need to start. We've been miseducated to believe what the world teaches us about our bodies and what the world teaches us about sexuality, and what the world teaches us about our relationships, and our dignity, and our worth, and what those things are tied to. The world is lying to us and and miseducating us about so many things. We've been miseducated by culture. The new golden rule is not do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But now the golden rule is follow your heart. The new golden rule is do what feels right. Tell that to a two-year-old and see what happens, right? Like we can see it there, but we can't see it in our own hearts. And look, I'm not saying this is just you. This is me too. We're all affected by this miseducation of culture. The new golden rule, follow your heart, do what feels right. And so when we do that, what happens is uh, people become objects in the pursuit of our pleasure. So rather than loving people and giving ourselves and serving other people, they become pawns in our game to get what we want. 
What matters the most to us is our freedom and our personal fulfillment in the culture. Anything that blocks or threatens my freedom and my expression and my truth is considered an enemy. Right? That's the way it is. That's the miseducation. We've been miseducated by the culture. But it gets worse. Because not only have we been miseducated by the culture, we've been miseducated by the church. This is a church, by the way. <laughs> so Lord, help us not to miseducate today. Amen? Help us, help us to hear from you and not to miseducate today. But I know we've been miseducated by the church. Because most church folks try not to even talk about that thing. Right? We can't even bring it up in a conversation. It's too personal. It's too embarrassing. It's too dirty. It's too worldly. We can't even speak of such things. Sex is a topic to be avoided, to be ignored, to be uh, swept under the rug. Right? And the church just pours out condemnation on people who struggle. Right? If you, uh, if you got pregnant out of wedlock... Uh, if you had an abortion, if you, look, if you admit you looked at pornography, if you're, if, you're, if you're doing all of these things, if you have homosexual thoughts, the church tells you you are condemned. And so the, the only message we hear about sexuality from the church is a message of condemnation. Right? So much of what we hear is a message of condemnation. We've been miseducated by the church. Because in the church, sadly, there is so much shame and so much fear and so much silence. We've been mesicated. We've been mesicated. We've been mesicated. We've been miseducated by the culture because the culture says that thing is whatever you feel. And we've been miseducated by the church, which says that thing is dirty and shameful. But God says something different. And if we're paying attention to what God says, God says that thing, that thing is very good. That's what God says about it. God says that thing is very good. Did you know that those were the two words that God used to describe his entire creation right after he placed Adam and Eve, the first married couple, into the Garden of Eden, naked and unashamed. He placed them there, and he, and he looked at them, and he looked at everything, and God said, very good. Anybody know what this is? Looks like maybe a place to hang your keys, put it up on a wall maybe hang your keys on it. Maybe it's something you could reach out and grab something and pull it, right? It's weird looking, isn't it? Anybody have an idea? Now, if you know what it is, I'm not going to call on you because my kids know what this is. <laughs> anybody, anybody have a guess? If you don't know what it is, like I haven't told you. Nobody? No guesses? Okay, so how can we find out what the, if you found this on the road, how would you find out what this is? How would you find out uh, what this is used for. 
you might want to find who made it, right? Well, you know who made this? My dad. My dad made this in a machine, in a machine shop 35, 40 years ago. And this is a tool for tightening rope. And so if you tie something in your truck and you have a rope going across that's kind of slack, you can take this and you hook on the rope, you go down, you hook another hook, and then you turn it over like that and it tightens the rope. Genius, right? Genius right here. All right? But how do we know what this is? How do we use this correctly? We have to talk to the designer. Y'all see where I'm going? If we want to know what sex is for, what gender is for, then we need to go and ask the designer of it. Amen? And so let's open the Word. We're going to read Genesis, a couple of passages from the very beginning where God actually tells us what He created this for. Genesis 1 and 2, just a few passages from that. Beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. This is God's Word. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then we're going to skip into chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God teaches us four reasons, four purposes, all right, four reasons for why this thing exists. And it's all very good. Let's break it down, all right? Verses 1, 27, and 28. Number one, like I said, four reasons, okay? Here's the first one. God designed sex. Y'all ready? For making babies. Okay, shocker, right? God designed sex for making babies. Look at verse 27. God created man in his own image. Isn't that interesting? The creator right, makes little creators. Isn't that cool? 
The creator makes little creators. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion together over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves along the earth. See, God designed sex for making babies. Now that seems obvious, right? It seems obvious, but it's actually one of the last things people actually think of today. When they think of what is it for, one of the last things people think of is for reproduction, right? For procreation, for making babies. Why is that one of the last things we think of? Because we have been miseducated, right? We have been miseducated to think that sex is more about fulfillment and and self-happiness and not being fruitful and multiply. You know, God's the very first thing God wants us to know about sex is that it is for making babies. That's the, not the only thing. Okay, there's, four, there's three more points, right? But, but the first thing God wants us to know is that it's for making babies. God created our bodies with the ability to procreate. But only with when one man and one woman come together can that happen. And now we live in a broken, fallen world right now where that is not always the case, right? I mean, we all know about struggles with infertility and all of that. Is, that is all part of the fall and part of the brokenness of the world. We're going to talk about that next week, okay? But right now we're just looking at God's design. And God's design is that the first command in the Bible, you know, people are like, well, the Bible's just full of commands, the Bible's just full of, uh, you know, preaching this and, you know, laws, laws, laws. Well, you know what the first command is in the Bible? God speaks to Adam and Eve and he says, go make love. That is the first command in the Bible. Wow! Not the God you thought he was. His first command, the first words out of his mouth are, go make love. Multiplication and growth are at the core of humanity. At the core of what, of God, what God was doing in creation. That God was, he was not just going to make everybody their own little special creation. He was going to create Adam and Eve and then send them out to do the work of multiplication. And, 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 and in some ways, even though today it's broken and it's fallen and it doesn't always work the way it's supposed to, we still get a glimpse of that, don't we? When a new baby is born, when a family is holding together, sometimes grasping together, struggling to live into that reality of what God has created, what the design is for, for making babies. Number two, God designed sex for making babies and for partnership. In chapter 2, verse 18, There is this striking statement. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God had been repeating throughout the first chapters of Genesis, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, over and over and over. And then here, we hear for the first time something that's not good. Well, what wasn't good? It wasn't good that the man was by himself. 
It wasn't good that this man was alone because the man by himself was incomplete. And, and as he looked around, none of the other creatures could, could fill that void. None of the other creatures could satisfy that need for partnership. And so God crafted a woman from the, from the man's side. There, there's a lot in that, okay? A lot in that that I'm not going to break down today. But he crafted a woman's body and soul to complement the man. The, the, the word here, I will make a helper fit for him. Her body would fit his. Her soul would fit his. She would be a helper. And, and he would be a lover. He would be a servant. And she would be his side, at his side. And, and, and so what God creates in sexuality is partnership. None of, none of the other relationships in the world would even exist if it wasn't for sex, right? We wouldn't have uh, brothers and sisters and neighbors and aunts and uncles and grandparents and uh, people across town. None of that would exist if God had not created a way for community to exist. And our need goes much beyond just this one man and one woman relationship. Our need for partnership extends to all of life, right? We need friends. We need community. We need someone who we can call when we're crying and, and they will listen to us and give us counsel like Latifia shared earlier. God designed sexuality for partnership. We need one another. We depend on one another. And listen, God, this is really important in today's world, and I, I want to say this with deep compassion and concern. Okay? When God said it is not good that the man should be alone, He did not create another man. And I don't say that to bring, con don't hear condemnation in that, but I want you to hear, I want you to actually hear this. God created difference. God created difference at the root of humanity, not sameness. He created difference. The woman was different than the man equal in dignity and worth, but different. And, and it's that physical and soul difference that gives us a glimpse at who God is. Because in God Himself is unity and diversity. One God, three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In God, there is love. In Himself, there is love, the capacity for love, the experience of love. And so when God creates man, meaning humankind, in His image, He creates not just one, one gender, but two. Why? So that we can experience unity and diversity. 
so that we can experience difference, so that we can delight in someone who is other, someone who ain't like me, right? I I, I can delight in someone who is other, and isn't that what God does? Isn't that what love is? Love is, love, Love is giving yourself to someone who ain't like you. And this truth extends not only to sex, but to race, to uh, culture, to language, to so many other areas of life, right? I mean, we're celebrating Black History Month right now. Why? Because God created difference. And He created it in the first two people. Difference. Adam and Eve genetically produced all of us. Isn't that incredible? That, that, That these two humans genetically speaking, um, had the capacity to create all of the diversity of humanity. So every shade, color, shape, size, all of it, it all roots back into that one creation of difference. And, and so don't, don't think about what that isn't saying. Think about what it is saying. Think about what it is saying, that God created difference at the root of humanity. God designed sex for partnership, for mutual dependence on someone who is other. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. God designed sex for making babies, number one. God designed sex for partnership, number two. And number three, God designed sex for pleasure. Look with me at chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man sang. Okay, it says said, but it's really sang, because this is a love song. It's poetry. You can't see it in English, but in the Hebrew, it's poetry. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It doesn't sound very romantic, right? (laughs) It doesn't. But trust me, I just have to take my word for it. In the original language, it has much more beauty to it, all right? English, it's it's weird. But, But in the original language, this is a love song. Uh, Adam, the first words out of his mouth when he sees his wife are poetry. He's got a a rhythm and a rhyme, Uh, right? Uh, He's he's singing to her. As soon as as God places her in front of him, when, 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 when Adam first laid eyes on his wife Eve, there was electricity. There was electricity in the room. There was electricity like that shock when, you know, when you're standing next to someone and you accidentally bump up against them and you feel that little charge going, the little electricity. It was like that, all right, but even bigger. Why? Because God designed it that way. God designed that, that, gl- that glimpse to the other to be like a magnet, to just draw together. God designed pleasure God is the creator of pleasure. God is the creator of sexual pleasure. Let me just put it that way. All right, let me just put it out there. God, it was God's idea, y'all. And so every aspect of love, physical, emotional, spiritual, is full of different experiences of pleasure. And it's not just 
you know, the deed, right? It's not just that. It's, it's the glance. It's the across the room. It's the, 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 the holding hands for the first time. Romantic love and the pleasure that that brings is God's idea. He created it. He's the one that tells us what it's for. God designed sex for pleasure. Did you know that there is an entire book of the Bible devoted to sexual pleasure? That book is called Song of Solomon. And the Song of Solomon is fairly explicit in the Hebrew. In English, it's more like PG-13. But in the original language, there was no doubt what some of these things were referring to. All right? And I read it this week just because I knew I was speaking on this. I was like, let me just go back and read the Song of Solomon again. And I'm sitting there reading this book, blushing to myself. Because God is not embarrassed about sex. God is not embarrassed because he made it. He created it. He created it for pleasure. Chapters 4 and 5 and 7, in case you're wondering. Chapters 4 and 5 and 7. Proverbs 5, verses 18 through 19 are instructions from a father to a young man. And he says, God says through this proverb, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you with all times, at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Now that'll preach. God designed sex for making babies, number one. Number two, God designed sex for partnership. For, for relationship, for community. God designed sex for pleasure, number three. And number four, God designed sex for marriage. There it is. <laughs> we all knew it was coming. God designed sex for marriage. Look at chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. We all, whenever we're reading the Bible and we see the word therefore, we have to ask, what's it therefore? It's because he's summarizing everything he said so far. Right, about making babies, about pleasure, about uh, partnership. He's summarizing all of that up now, and he's saying, Therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Marriage is a committed lifelong love relationship between one man and one woman. And God designed sex for that relationship only. God designed sex for that relationship only. A man shall leave and cleave, right? And so that is God's design. Now, we live in a world where that's not always the case, right? That's not always our desire. That's not always our experience. We're going to get into that next week, okay? We're going to get into that next week. But for now, we need to really take a look at God's design. He designed sex for this relationship only, this marriage relationship. Somebody once told me that sex is like superglue that holds a relationship together. You know why? 
Why is sex like superglue? Because when you are making love with someone, you are telling them, I am going to love you forever. That is what sex communicates. Whether you, whether you mean to in- communicate that or not, what you're communicating to someone when you're, when you're in a physical relationship with them, it's not just you know, the, the last part of sex, but it's kind of a lot of it. It's communicating, I, I will love you forever. I'm here for you, I'm here for you forever. That's what it communicates. And so <laughs> when we communicate that to lots of different people, we're lying constantly. <laughs> we're like lying to everyone. Because we're telling them by what we do, I'm going to love you forever. But what we really mean is, I'm using you right now because I want to feel better. We've got to be brutally honest about the way that we are miseducated, right? It all goes back to that miseducation of Lauren Hill. <laughs> uh, we are miseducated about what it is and what it means. This is a commitment that makes two people one flesh. One flesh is not meant to be broken. It's meant to be held together. That is God's design, right? And I'm going to keep reiterating, that is not our experience. That is not our reality, right? We're, going, we're getting to that next week, okay? But for now, we need to know what his design is. And his design is that this would be a one flesh relationship, that we would leave father and mother, and that we would cleave forsaking all others and hold fast to our husband or our wife. Marriage was designed to create a safe haven for love. Look at at how it's described. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Can you imagine... uh, Can you imagine uh, expressing your love in a context of complete safety? My God! That's what God created. God created marriage to be a safe haven. To be a place where love really could be experienced that way. Without shame. Without regret. Without anything holding you back. Because naked is not just about their bodies, it's about their hearts. It's about their souls, it's about everything that they are. To be bare with one another. Open and true and honest. That's God's design, y'all. That's what God made this for. I will always be there for you. That's the message of sex. I will always be there for you. And God designed that to be true every single time. Every single day for that to be true. What a beautiful creation God made. What an incredible creation that we've lost in so many ways that we don't get to experience today. God designed sex for making babies, for partnership, for pleasure, for marriage. But we do not live in Eden. We live in a world and in bodies that are wrecked and that are broken and that get into all kinds of foolishness and disobedience and sin, right? We all do. And this is what I want you to hear me say. If you're sitting here today feeling like, well, 
I've fallen short of that. <laughs> yeah, amen. If you haven't fallen short of that, please stand up and leave. Because you're not really welcome here. Because this is a church full of strugglers and sinners. Right, right on up here. All right, right on up here. So when we look at God's design, we should glorify Him for what He's made. But we should also come humbly to Him and say, Lord, we've fallen short. This is not, the, this is not how we've experienced it. And, and we may never experience it that way. We may never experience it that way. But the good news is that that's not the end of the story. That is not the end of the story because ultimately this does not point to itself. It points to God. And it points to the intimacy that we can have with God. And it points to the the, the way that God made us for His pleasure. And, that, and that, that God takes pleasure in us. That He takes pleasure in knowing us. And so our relationship with God is, a, is the fulfillment of marriage and of sex. That, that, that you may never be married. Okay? You may never have children. But that doesn't mean that that what sex points to can't be a reality in your life. It can and it should and it, and it will be if you put your faith in Christ. Because He's the one who's committed to us. Did you know that this, this idea of a marriage is what God uses over and over in the Bible to talk about His love for us? He describes His love for us as a marriage. And that Christ is the bridegroom who came down from heaven to pursue you and me with, a lo- with an unending love. He came to pursue us with a perfect love. And, and though we at times reject Him, He is faithful to us. And so, and so all of this is pointing toward that reality that we can all experience, even today, if we will let ourselves be received by His love. If we will let ourselves be warmed by Him, if we will let ourselves trust in Him today, to trust in our, our bridegroom who loves us and who gave Himself up for us and who, who loves us with a committed love, a sacrificial love. Let's marvel at what God has made. Let's marvel at His, at this, at the, at his creation of difference. Let's marvel at at culture and creation. Let's appreciate the beauty of what God has made in sex and sexuality and marriage. Let's praise God for that, for, for making babies, for partnership, for pleasure, and for marriage. But ultimately, that's not where it points. It points to God Himself, who exists in unity and diversity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who gives life to us all, who sustains us, who partners with us to be fruitful and multiply, to live on the earth and to to have dominion, to rule it, who finds pleasure in relationship with us. That thing is very good because God is very good. And y'all, it points to Him. It points to Him.
Let's give praise to his name. Let's pray. Yeah, amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you uh, have spoken about things that we tend to be silent about. And Lord, I pray that uh, for all of us, we would uh, understand what you've made. We would understand the purpose of what it's for. That it's for good. But God, we struggle in this world and in these bodies that are not always good. We struggle. And Lord, I pray today that even as we've thought about your good plan and your good design, that we would not be discouraged. That we would not be discouraged in our struggle. But that we would let this be an opportunity to come to you and say, Lord, I see the goodness of your design, but but everything in my life feels like it's just the opposite. Lord, would you call each of us to come to you with that attitude? Not out of despair, but in faith. Coming to you, clinging to you, depending on you for, for life and for forgiveness and for hope. To find all of our satisfaction in you. Lord, do that work in each life and each heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I do want to say, um, if, uh, if, you, if you want to talk about anything that we talked about today, if there's anything that you're like, ah, I'm not sure about that, or, you know, I don't really get this part, or this doesn't make any sense, I don't have all the answers but I would love to talk with you about it, all right? So please reach out to me, text me, let me know um, if we can talk about it, or reach out to one of your mentors and speak to them about these things as well. We wanna have a conversation about God's design for sex. That's what this month is all about, all right? And so uh, hopefully y'all will come back next week to hear about how that thing is broken, because <laughs> I think we experience that, don't we? We do.